Let's just spend a couple minutes together. I'm going to invite you just to uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And uh, we will be in Acts chapter 2, but I just wanted to kind of cover a few things. Um, we laid a bit of a foundation uh, at youth group there Friday night, just thinking about John the Baptist. And let's say biblically stepping into Acts with with the, the nature of, of what was being preached, the nature of, of what the, the Jewish people, Israel, was anticipating, and then the conclusion of that, I mean, as Jesus preached this repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and, and, and Paul and the apostles took up the message, I think it's really, really important for us to consider, in many ways, return back to a a biblical message of the gospel, and if nothing else, this morning uh, I just want to I want I just want to kind of rally us to think on these things, and then go home. And there may be things that that you don't agree with me on. There may be things that you uh, want to question me about, and I'm always open to questions. I mean, it, it just as long as we have Bibles open, it's good. Um, but a lot of these things were new to me. And I remember once they started falling into place, really, and I mean, they're still doing that, as it's like, I, I'm just learning to read my New Testament for the first time as God gave it. And, and that's what makes this so special for me, and that's probably why we have to move so slow <laughs> in doing that. So let me pray. We'll just do a quick overview of what we looked at in youth group, and then we'll step into Acts chapter 22 or 2. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the songs that we've been singing and just the, the chance to quiet our hearts before you. I know that last song was very special, special to me, Lord. And so much goes into a morning service, and we asked you earlier for you to lead us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts are, are sensitive Lord, I pray that our hearts are responsive. I pray that, that the, the moments ahead, we would not just be spectators. Lord, we would not just be, be sitting here going, you know, entertain me. Tell me something there that I don't know. Lord, I pray that, that as we read your words, Lord, I pray it's with a, an earnest to seek you. And we know you that you reward that. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that perhaps for some, if, if, if they feel as though some of these texts or maybe we're reading too much or, or we're not grasping it, Lord, I pray that, that we would, we would uh, think about the apostles. And as Jesus, the, the Word in flesh, taught day in, day out and explained to them the, the eternal truths in a proper way, Lord, that would have been so new. It would have been so much, and yet one bite at a time, one piece at a time, and you are so patient, and I pray that we would be patient with ourselves, but Lord, that we, we would be faithful in seeking you, and I pray these things in your name, amen. Well, hopefully you had a chance to grab the notes that are out there, I'm just going to quickly work down through the bullet points, and uh, I know I have some teens here with us, and, and Adrian, my little brother, and, and Connor helped out with youth group as well. Um, we looked at just briefly how Malachi closed 
right? And again, the, the day of the Lord, the awesome day of wrath that's coming that they're anticipating, and the very last couple verses of, of the coming Elijah, the type of, of, of John the Baptist, and then how he would come preaching and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, right? And that was the spiritual truths. I mean, when, he, when they were to be anticipating one who would preach the truth and there would be a spiritual awakening, the family unit's culture would be called to repentance. It was interesting as I bounce these ideas off the teens, and they get it, right? You guys are reading the verses, you get it, right? The idea of God's people holding a history of God's love and faithfulness. I mean, that's what the Jewish people, I mean, the God, as, as, as the covenant nation, they had a history from, from leaving Egypt, from, from God's call of Abraham, of how God provided, God loved, God desired them, God, God, God led them. They had that history. And to choose sin, to choose not to pass on those truths to their children, is tossing all that out as worthless. And to live in open disobedience, that's more or less what you need to do, right? It's to disregard a history of God's love and faithfulness. Those people choosing to live in disobedience had open scriptures. Right? I mean, they, they, they worshiped the scriptures. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the promises. They had the, the prophetic promises to come. They had everything. And yet God's people chose not to pass those truths on to their children. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in an empty religion. Now, why, why would I be presenting that to a group of teenagers? And the sad thing is that, that our teens today are growing up in that empty religion, right? And, and not all of them go to church. Very few of our teens go to church on a regular basis. They don't come from Christian homes, which is why we teach them the scriptures. But even our Christian kids, in many ways, are just following the footsteps of the parents and I go, where is your Bible? They have their own ideas. That's not important to them. Those things are not being passed on. What is the result? What is the result of that? We just had Christmas dinners, didn't we? How are our teens doing over the Christmas tables? Right? How, how are our children doing? Right? And we're seeing the results of what happens there in that culture. The very last sentence of the Old Testament, and I won't go back to Malachi because then we'll get stuck there. <laughs> but, it, but it says, lest I come and strike the earth with a what? With a curse. And I presented before Zechariah 5, and the, the family unit will be destroyed right to the timbers of that home. But Matthew chapter 3, we see the flip side of that. In Matthew chapter 3, we see John the Baptist... I mean, he was born, a um, number of years go by, and his ministry starts, and he's fulfilling the, the Malachi prophecy. He is the, the type of Elijah, and we see that in chapter 3, and it was interesting because some of the teens were paying attention, others are and trying to distract and what have you, but, but I could see some of them clicking, okay, Malachi come 430 years and the moment is now 
The message of Malachi is being preached. That time is being fulfilled. And they're coming to this culture where they, they have all the history of God's promises and his love and faithfulness. They have the scriptures, and yet they're still living in blatant disobedience. Just read with me in Matthew chapter 3, and I don't even have to explain this. Malachi fulfilled. This was the nature of the preaching. This was the condition of the people. This, is, this explains the hardness of their hearts. It says in this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Gavin's not here, Shelby. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if God's people, with all his promises and his love and his faithfulness, with open scriptures, if they were living in obedience and, and raising their kids and passing on these spiritual truths, there wouldn't really be a need for repentance, would there? Right? And I mean, here we have a culture who you couldn't put more of God before, and yet they're choosing complacency. They're choosing their own religion. And here is their message and if I was to speak to this context, I mean, if John's ministry was, say, a year before Jesus' ministry, this is four years before Pentecost. Okay? When Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, this is four years before. Do, do preaching messages change a whole lot in three, four years? How long does it take for a nation to change and revival, right? This is the nature of the preaching and what God was calling to his people. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus stood before them as the, the, the Messiah King, and he was saying there, the kingdom is in your midst. You have a decision to make. John is preparing that way before him. For this is he who's spoken of the prophet, by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You got a little little letter beside the beginning of that quote that's isaiah 40 isn't it isaiah 40 verse 3 right this is prophetically what they were looking forward to verse 4 of matthew 3 says now john himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey a grasshoppers and honey i wonder if he had people fixing their collar before he went out to speak. Now oh, Chris is scowling at me. <laughs> this is the idea. He, he had one purpose, right? And what was his purpose? To call God's people back to obedience, back to the word, back to, to, to being God's people. Verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Right? If a nation is going out to someone preaching repentance, they know that they are not living in fellowship with God. When you have a nation that's going out to hear someone preaching repent, they know that their hearts are not right, they know their families are not right, they know their generations are not right, and, and, and it's time. I mean, people were looking for a change here. They went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan doing what? confessing sins right i mean they were recognizing that we are living in complacency we are following an empty religion we have we have turned our backs from god's love and faithfulness to to choose our own way 
And families reflect that, don't they? Right? Culture reflects that. I mean, we deal all the time, even with Christian, Christian folks, Christian couples there, where their worldview is not a biblical one. And we're showing them scriptures, and we're showing them who Christ is, and what, what God says, this is my line, this is my boundary. And they're going, why is this important? Right? This, this means nothing to me. They're like, well, this is what I think. And it's like, I'm sorry, I don't care what you think. Right? This is what God says. And that's in a Christian circle. It doesn't take very long to get a compass off course, does it? But here we have the preaching, the Malachi prophecy coming, uh, being fulfilled, and we have people responding to this, repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 7 says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, here's your religious leaders, right? Brood of vipers, you snakes, you backbiters, I mean, all the imagery that can go with that. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Growing up, I think I always thought of wrath as far out, you know, seven-year tribulation, you know, the, the second coming of Christ. It's way out there. It has nothing really to do with me. If it was John the Baptist's preaching, the imminent wrath, if it was Jesus's preaching, imminent wrath, if it was Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, imminent wrath, that needs to be part of our understanding too, does it not? That's, that's where the truths of when we place our faith in Christ were regenerated and dwelt, adopted, and sealed. We have that guarantee of promise. We are not appointed to that wrath that's imminent. And all of a sudden, we have an accountability because we're reading our scriptures the way that they're written, where it's like, if Jesus Christ was to come today, I would be found doing or not doing in the state that I'm in. I would be found either living in obedience or disobedience. First John says you'll either be found ashamed or unashamed when that shout and that trumpet sounds. That's a serious note, isn't it? That's a time to, to really grasp at where we are and how we're living before Him. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Wednesday night crowd, you remember how we were talking about the vine being cut, right? As the people hardened their hearts and rejected the message of John, that vine is starting to be cut, right? Matthew 12, right? Jesus curses this generation. Matthew 23 and 24, this generation is cut off. Israel is temporarily cut off the vine. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Sounds a lot like John 15, doesn't it? Right? If you're not found serving, guess what? 
And John 15 is not talking about positional salvation. It's talking about if you choose to live in disobedience, good luck serving. Good luck being in, in ministry, right? If you're choosing to live in sin, you can't play both sides of the fence, and God will deal with that. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Who's he speaking to? Israel. Water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with... What's it say? Fire, a purging, right? A judgment. He will purify as he's speaking to Israel, right? These are the new covenant aspects coming, but it's, it's the promise. I mean, the new birth, the regeneration, the things that the Messianic kingdom is going to bring in, but it can only come if it's been purified, if it's been judged, right? If, 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 if it's gone through that purifying, and we just heard from John, it's wrath that's coming, connect that. Verse 12, his winnowing fan. Whose winnowing fan? The judge. This is King Jesus. This is your John chapter 5. All judgment was given to the Son. His, King Jesus, the winnowing fan, I'll hold up my crown, is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He's going to deal with Israel that's rejecting, that is living, that's not passing spiritual truths to their children. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, those responding to truth, those preparing themselves for his coming, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. <laughs> Do you think that kind of sermon would fill a church? Do you think a lot of these big churches of seven, eight hundred people, do you think there they would be full if, if there was a call to repentance. There was an examination of, of how moms and dads are raising their kids. If there was a call to how leaders are, are leading their homes and the, the list goes on and on. Probably not. But this is the nature of how Acts opens. This is the nature, if we were to turn over to Matthew chapter 4, 17. John the Baptist gets locked up for preaching for God. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus begins his ministry. This is, this is like three, three years and a bit, okay, before Pentecost. Four years, that's not a long time. Three and a half years is not a long time. What is Jesus' message? What is the nature of his preaching as he walks Israel? He says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What happens if they won't repent? What did John the Baptist say? but fleeing the wrath to come. And with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. The message didn't change, right? In four years, they rejected, they nailed our Savior, our King, to a cross. And we know that that's all part of God's pre predetermined plan, I just, I was thinking this morning even, I mean, even back in Abraham when he, he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, right, in Genesis 22, and he names that place God will, God will provide, right? It was always part of the Jewish understanding that God would provide what is, what is needed. 
So Acts chapter 2, and we'll just step into verse 14, and uh, we'll work our way down through this, and we'll see there just from what we've, what we've covered already, just from Matthew 3, in, con- excuse me, in context, and I think we could probably relate in many ways. I think I've been pretty clear in what happens to a, a nation, what happens to a culture when they're godless, when they set aside God's faithfulness and love and his scriptures, what happens? Right? They become spiritually barren. They become disobedient. They become uh, objects of God's wrath that's coming. And that's what makes the gospel so important. As we know that it's not just the world that's struggling today. We know that God's people are struggling today and they need to come back to the scriptures and the truths and conform their lives to this. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, the nature, the, the four years of preaching, um, the imminency of the wrath that's coming, the accountability that comes with that. I mean, you believe or you're going to be judged. You're going to go through that. You're going to be purged and purified. Peter speaking to these Jewish men that heard this message. Some of these men standing around here would have been at some of John the Baptist's, John's sermons. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter's saying, this is what's come true. As these men spoke languages for ministry and they were preaching, what were they saying? What was the message that they were preaching? What was Israel standing in the temple hearing? Well, they were hearing Joel. It says this, And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now be a student. Prophesy about what? Right? If something hasn't happened yet, it's something coming in the future. What are they prophesying about? Your young men shall see visions. Visions of what? Your old men shall dream dreams. I still don't like that term, old. Older. (laughs) That's okay. The Bible says it's okay. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I write in my Bible about what? What are they prophesying about? What is the nature of their message? Verse 19 says, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Did I mention that this is the first sermon after Pentecost? I mean, if the church, the church is, the assembly is being born in Acts chapter 2, this is the first sermon. And signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Go ahead and read through Revelation 6 to 19. Right? All the, the, the seals and trumpets and bowls before the coming and great an awesome day of the Lord. John the Baptist called it baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire. Purging, purifying, and wrath. What does verse 21 say? And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we ask the question, 
Saved from what? Wrath. Right? It's saved from this coming. Those who place their faith in Christ are not appointed to this wrath. There may be beginning of sorrows that they walk through, and every part of me wants to go to, to 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Like, we're not appointed to that. God preserves us from that. God removes us from that. But the nature of the sermons, the nature of the preaching for that four years is believe, call on the name of the Lord, or you will go through this purging, purifying wrath. Now, Johanna and I were talking about that a little bit this morning, right? Like the message of the church. Peter, how do you think that he preached this? Do you think it was, let's just talk about this for a second. Where's my stool? I don't want a pulpit anymore. I'm just going to, let's have a chat about the wrath and the day of the Lord. Do you think that's how he presented this? No, I mean, this, this is a serious thing, the, the imminency. But I can also understand, as it hasn't taken place yet, it hasn't taken place yet, you know, the church becoming distracted, the church maybe there, maybe after a thousand years becoming a little embarrassed, it hasn't happened yet, so maybe we won't teach that anymore. Right, all of a sudden there, maybe we don't completely believe the imminency of it. Like we know it and we know that, that we sing about it every once in the blue moon. But I mean, you know, it, it, it's there, but, but, but it, you know, and then eventually it's removed from our understanding. But that imminency, I mean, the imminency of the rapture is needed because of the imminency of the wrath. Do we see that? Right? That, is, that is the teaching, that is the biblical grounds for Peter as they step out into this New Testament ministry. And I'll show you a couple of things here, and, and I'll try and wind down a little bit. Because if that's missing from our Christian understanding, all of a sudden you have permission to live like many of the liberals do. An emergent church models where it's what I think. It's how I feel. There's no accountability for me. It's like, oh, I've been forgiven. Yes. But you will still stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You've been forgiven. That's great. But you know what? Your children who do not know, your grandchildren who do not know Christ, they will go, if the rapture was to take place, they will go through what? This wrath. And honestly, I mean, number of topics. We were talking about tattoos even there yesterday before going into Sobeys, the idea of, of where do I stand on tattoos, right? And I've got a couple from my time away. And I, I, I don't have anything against tattoos, okay? But they don't lead the younger generation to a model of Christ, they don't look at their pastor when his shirt is off and go, oh, he's such a godly man. I want to be like him because he's like Jesus. Right? Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but that, that's where I draw that line. And if it's, if it's leading people away, it's, it's giving them permission to do whatever, knowing that a wrath is coming there, then, then yes, I don't agree with them. That's where I would park with that. So we have an accountability with that. Let's look at verse 22 of this chapter. And if, again... If Peter is preaching, this is with energy. This is with earnest. He, he's speaking, I don't know, it's probably at least a couple hundred thousand. I mean, they're in the temple vicinity. People had been running once the, the, they heard the, the sound, 
right? And they, they heard them speaking in their own languages. I mean, the audience is glued. And he says, men of Israel, it's important, because these men of Israel belong to this cursed generation. Jesus told them that there's wrath coming. Jesus had given them every opportunity, and they kept hardening their hearts, hardening their hearts. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. I'm just going to read down to verse 36, okay, just straight, and then we'll start over um, again there, just, just to put us in there. Okay, so verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, who's the him? King Jesus, Messiah King, in your midst as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter there becomes an Old Testament quoting machine, Psalm 16. You'll see that because they keep coming back. Men and brethren. Right? This is the cursed generation. This is Israel. Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and the tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ, the anointed chosen one, Christos, to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Who are the we? Peter and the apostles, right? They, they watched him. They had just watched him ascend Ten days before Pentecost, they, they, they saw their king, and he said, the angels are like, why are you still watching? He's going to come in the same manner. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, can you see your king receiving that position and authority? Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that Peter just explained, right, the Joel 2, the, the coming comforter, the paraclete, the power alongside with this message, the promise of the, of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. What was the message that they were hearing? Wrath. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Right? That is what that was the message that they're preaching here. That is the nature of what was going on. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, right? David's Lord, David's curios deity, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, right? The one that they had just killed, the one that they had buried, the one that they paid the soldiers to seal the tomb with. The worst case scenario was for Jesus to be raised from the dead, the king to be alive. He made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord, Kyrios, the deity, and Christ, the anointed chosen one. There's a lot in those few verses, isn't there? <laughs> we could spend a couple months just working through, but I've only got a couple minutes. So the, the notes that you have, okay, will be your homework. But if I was to, to bring a point, and I've got it right there just underneath the youth study, this is what I'll send you home with, as there's to step into that. I'm just asking, I mean, have we been reading our Bibles right? Have we been preaching the same message that Jesus did? Are we preaching the same message that Peter did right from the very beginning? That there is a serious time of purging fire and wrath coming. And the only way to escape that is by placing your faith in Christ the anointed chosen one, the Messiah King who willingly went to the cross and died and paid the price for sin. He was buried. He was raised again. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's supposed to be ruling the church right now. His people are supposed to be, be bending their knee and being his voice. We're supposed to be raising our families grounded in these truths because the wrath is real. I wrote it down because it sounds better. It says, is the gospel of the Bible the same as the church? Is the gospel of the Bible the same as the church? Is the gospel of the Bible the same as our Christian homes? The same as, as our Christian families when we're teaching our children and our grandkids. Is the gospel of the Bible the same? We live in a, an ABC salvation culture. Where if you accept, believe, and confess, you're, you're in the good books. You've got your, your one-way ticket. Is the gospel of the Bible the same as the church? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there's much more that could be said about that. And Lord, as you've just laid on my heart calling your people back to reading your scriptures, not relying on ideas or personal opinions. Lord, I think of how, how dangerous it is to open our mouths and, and pretend to speak truth when we haven't spent time seeking out what you've placed before us. I think of how much confusion 
I think of how many different people even today are, are walking and living their lives thinking that they're okay before you because they just acknowledge that you exist. And Lord, Israel had a history of your love and faithfulness. Israel had Old Testament scriptures. They had the temple model. They had everything before them. And yet things fell apart. Lord, my prayer as we start this new year and we think of the holiday and there may even still be festivities. My prayer is that we would find time to get quiet with your truth. And you would give us a, a heart to seek you through the pages of scripture so that our message lines up with yours. And Lord, if we are surrounded by people who don't care about your word, they're not seeking, Lord, their hearts are hardened or, or perhaps even deadened and they're content with just what they think and their opinions. Lord, I pray that you would keep them from confusing others. Keep them from leading others astray. And I pray that, that from our church, we would, they would become a contagious, Lord, for others just seeking and learning and being used of you. Lord, we thank you. And we just give the rest of this day to you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.